Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Turf Show Times, the podcast, instant reaction show. And this week, um, not only unusual circumstances for the game, but unusual circumstances for the instant reaction show this week, I'm not joined, uh, as always, by Blaine, the fiasco didasco, but instead by our, uh, well, I should say it's apropos, enemy um, uh, over at Field Goals, Mookie Alexander, uh, managing editor, a writer, and uh, great statesman of uh, representing Field Goals over there covering the Seattle Seahawks and uh, the Rams pull this out 20 to 10 on a Tuesday. Um, and so I am joined by Mookie to have a instant post game reaction from both sides of the game. Um, a game that was originally scheduled to be played on Sunday COVID outbreak, you know, not just, on the Rams because there was a large number of players on the Rams, of course, who went on the COVID-19 list, um, an unusually high number, the most, I believe. Uh, but, you know, the, the Seattle Seahawks, too, with Tyler Lockett, perhaps their most important player being on that COVID list and ended up having, I think, 10 overall by the time Tuesday came around. So both teams hit by this and uh, the game goes down on Tuesday. There was not a lot of scoring in the first half, just 3-3 at halftime and, and then 10-10 in the second half, but the Rams pull away for a 20-10 victory. There will be talk of controversial penalties and whether or not that impacted the uh, game to the point of giving the Rams a victory, uh, which is why it's so good here to have both sides to discuss it. So... Mookie, I'll, I'll go to you just um, for your instant reaction feeling to the game, whether or not you are maybe more focused on the calls or uh, more focused on maybe the, the delay, the postponement of the game, or, or just mo more focused on the game itself. Well, uh, I'm very steamed about the officiating. No doubt about that. The, the two calls, the biggest calls of the game, both went against Seattle. The, the holding call on Bless Austin, that really wasn't. And then the pass interference that wasn't called, and that would have extended Seattle's potential game-tying drive. Um, I'm probably one of the few Seahawks fans who was sensible about the postponement. Um, yeah, it sucks that the Seahawks also had a COVID outbreak at the same time uh, the Rams did, and that this game had to be pushed to Tuesday. Um, but still, it, this wasn't a case of favoring the Rams. I mean, two other games got postponed for the exact same reason. And when you look at the players who did get off the, the COVID list, it, it's really, you had Von Miller get off the COVID list today, but everybody else of, of real consequence came back on Sunday or Saturday. So it's not like the Rams got a super boost out of that. And then the Seahawks didn't lose anybody on Monday or Tuesday 
uh, to COVID that, that would have played in this game anyway. Brian Monet was on the COVID list on Monday, but he would have missed this game due to injury. So um, I don't think there's favoritism there. Certainly favoritism in the officiating. I will, will not shy away from that whatsoever. But ultimately, I am most annoyed with how poor the Seahawks offense is. Um, the, the officiating, no doubt, had a major impact on the game. But the Seahawks offense is just completely rotten to the core in ways that I'd never imagined. Uh, 10 points after scoring, what, 13, uh, or rather 0, 13, 15. And then you have two games against the Niners and Texans. And then you get back to 10. Uh, the, the, the problems just persist with this, this offensive unit not looking cohesive. And that's whether Tyler Lockett is healthy or you have uh, Lockett out. I mean, it was just a completely discombobulated effort in what was a must-win game. Yeah, I think that um, obviously you, you know, from Rams fans, I think hearing this would get some pushback on, on the calls. Uh, and that's always naturally going to happen depending on what side of the call you're on, you know, whether it's going to be defensive about the call, which, you know, I, I think like th there's always going to be that part to it. But overall, you know, I think uh Everybody, the reason that there even is such a conversation about the calls, which is, it seems like uh, from Twitter and Reddit, from what I've seen in the post game, a lot of uh, posts from a lot of just uh, seemingly, I would say, um, neutral observers or semi-neutral observers saying like, wow, yeah, that was a crazy uh, call or no call on the pass interference. And uh, I would also say that the image of favoring one team or the other does seem to come down though to the team uh, that say like lost or, or whether or not it might be coincidentally a string of controversial calls going to one side. What would you say? Cause that's what I think, you know, is more of like, Hey, look, refs make bad calls. It might not be a, a biased bad call. It's just that refs make a lot of bad calls. Um, but what would you say? Like when you say that um, you wouldn't budge on uh, the maybe the is there do you said their favoritism? Uh, would you what, what can you ex just sort of expand on what favoritism uh, the refs would have there? Uh, favoritism. Well, I don't think it's necessarily always the big markets. You know, LA's got to have a good football team. Although, if you're so minded, you could make that case uh, if you go back to the Nikel Roby Coleman pass interference in the NFC Championship game. But I'm sure the Rams have been screwed over by, by bad calls many times uh, over the years, even whether in Los Angeles or St. Louis. But in the context of this game, it felt like none of the, the officiating seemed to favor Seattle. And it's supposed to be called the game correctly. You're not supposed to favor a team per se. And in this instance, the, the highest leverage calls made were going towards the Rams' favor. And they had a huge impact because one led to a touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown, and the other denied a potential tying touchdown. So when you have that so egregious that the Fox broadcast says uh, these calls are, are, are very questionable at best, it, it, if, from a Seahawks standpoint, it's hard not to feel like you have been completely jobbed against a, a, a hated divisional opponent. So, yeah, th this was very frustrating refereeing by Sean Hockley and his crew. And I hope to never get them again. I've not been a fan <laughs> of Oculus crew whatsoever. So it doesn't even have to be in the context of a Seahawks game. Yeah. But this was like a Pac-12 officiating, a Pac-12 officiating standard, which we already know is unacceptable. <laughs> um, 
yeah that the like you i know that i know you very well and i know you're i think you're a, a pretty even observer would you say that the false start on dj dallas should have been a penalty uh, I think it was on Penny. I, 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 oh, I don't remember okay. it was on Dallas. I think it was on Penny, but even still, uh, I didn't see a false start. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I'm mostly upset with the sequence after that. A false start, a running play with Penny for no yards, and then waste a timeout after that one. Uh, so that, that's what ended up leading to that whole sequence there. But still, it, the Seahawks also made their, their, their own mess. They were major contributors to their own demise but they don't need the, the, the refs to help push them off the ledge too. You did mention the problems with Seattle's offense, which um, is run by a former Rams coach, uh, someone who was around the Rams offense for four years and uh, working right there, calling plays or, you know, helping to, you know, call plays there for Sean McVay uh, brought over uh, by Pete Carroll, from the Rams, and uh, this is now his uh, second game here against his former coach. Ten points, and uh, Russell Wilson. It didn't seem like you know because Russell Wilson has always struggled against Aaron Donald, generally speaking. But at this point, it doesn't really seem like Russell Wilson is. It doesn't seem like just like oh, always a great player versus great player. It it, it seems a bit more like if the if the rams could score more than 10 points they would win this game where are you at do you think with uh it, it almost seems pointless to ask about shane waldron because i don't know where where are you at with a, regards to the next step for the seahawks to make a change um on their offense um with waldron i felt like that mindless third and six run with penny Sean McVay buzzed in and told him to call that, you know, just as a favor, because no, no other reason why you would call such a horrible play. Um, but I'm not particularly high on Waldron uh, through these first, however many games it is, 14 games. He had a great start with what we saw against the Colts, where it looked everything like we had imagined. You have a lot of je- uh, motion and heavy play action use, very efficient offense. They get four touchdowns and they win pretty comfortably. But for much of the season, whether it's been Geno Smith at quarterback or Wilson at quarterback, whether it's pre-injury or post-injury, it's not been a cohesive unit. Um, The play sequencing, I have a huge issue with the frequency of which they end up just only passing on a series or only running on a series. And usually they all lead to punts. I mean, this team punts almost half the time on its drives, and that is incredibly bad. That's worse than the Texans. Uh, So (laughs) you got to put that into context. Um, I don't think Waldron will be one year and out, um, but I wouldn't put it past Carroll because he did that with Jeremy Bates in his very first season. And that was with him coordinating a, a very declined Matt Hasselbeck as his quarterback. So uh, Waldron certainly has had some good moments. I think he called a very good game against the Texans the week before, but just as a whole, this offense has grossly underachieved and it's been very much boomer bust. It's, it's either a, quick strike touchdown of which they get the ball down the field in in no time or they're punting it. So when they had that touchdown against the Rams an 11 play 75 yard drop, that was their longest play of the seat, longest drive rather of the entire season, which tells you the state of the Seahawks offense. So I think changes do have to be made. I personally don't have much interest in, in running it back with the same group. In other words, the big three, Pete Carroll, John Schneider and Russell Wilson. Uh, But the one bad outcome I see 
is if Pete and John stay and Russell gets traded. And this is me saying this after Wilson had an objectively terrible game, but I don't trust Carroll and Schneider to rebuild an efficient offense, given the moves that they've made over the last few years. Um, but Wilson certainly has, has played his part in, in the offensive struggles, the accuracy, not uh-huh. there, the decision-making questionable. And what is really concerning is that he is almost consciously choosing not to run. I mean, he had no attempted rushes in this game. And even on scrambles, we know how dangerous Wilson can still be as a scrambler, but he just flat out refused. And on a couple of occasions, there's yeah. no spy for the Rams. There's a lot of green grass and he's looking for a big play miles down the field. Um, so maybe over the last couple of years, what Brian Schottenheimer did by getting Wilson to clean up a lot of his bad habits in the pocket has come at the expense of some of the brilliant creativity of Wilson right. outside the pocket scrambling. And it's been deprogrammed from him in such a way that he's like looking to throw exclusively when dude, yeah. sometimes it's okay to just cut it loose. So like getting it back into, um, sort of the NFC West, it, uh, was interesting to think about where maybe the NFC West quarterbacks were at, not just at the beginning of this season, maybe even at the end of last season when uh, Jared Goff was still the quarterback of the Rams and thinking like, oh, is there a big gap uh, between, say, the Goff-Garoppolo group um, and then uh, a rising star in uh, Kyler Murray? Um, and then you had Russell Wilson, the veteran experienced stalwart that uh, you thought would be the most reliable. And here we are now at the end of the season. And I was even uh, ranking the quarterbacks in my head, jotting it down, like not necessarily a full on ranking uh, or tiers or anything like that. Cause I don't really believe in all that much of, you know, people overrate the numbers too much, but um, it is so clear to me now that close to the top is a, is a Matthew Stafford. And with the way that uh, the Seahawks quarterback has played this season, I think he's starting to drift more and more towards the middle, which uh, is such a dramatic shift in power in the NFC West, which whether that is long-term or just right now is so clear right now with the Rams and Cardinals at 10 and four. Um, and the 49ers getting adequate play from Jimmy Garoppolo um, and able to, to be above 500. And then the Seahawks uh, clearly having the worst performance uh, out of their quarterback position this season and uh, sitting now at five and nine. What were your thoughts on the uh, performance of Matthew Stafford and Cooper cup uh, against Seattle's defense? Because I wasn't um, I wasn't 100 percent sure who I haven't heard a lot of those names before in Seattle secondary. Yeah, you know what? I was largely impressed with the way the Seahawks defense played, and I've gotten on them a lot this year, even though they've not been allowing many points. Uh, but given they were missing DJ Reed, their number one corner, they're down Brian Monet, as I mentioned, due to both injury and COVID down Kerry Hyder Jr. So they got a thinning defensive line. Um, so you, you end up with a, a team that's not particularly deep anyway. And of course, Jamal Adams is out for the season with injury, but they, they played the Rams a lot better in this game than they did in the first matchup where they were just getting carved up in the second half. So Cooper cup is just an exceptional player. I, I genuinely think he should be getting MVP votes. He certainly should win offensive player of the year because he not only could he get the triple crown, he could break the receiving yards record. He could break the receptions record too. He is just a phenomenal player. And I certainly don't like the idea of the Seahawks constantly having their linebackers on Cooper Cup instead of actual cornerbacks. But ultimately, it didn't matter. He made a great catch with Sidney Jones in good coverage. 
And then both of his touchdowns came against linebackers. I mean, Sean McVay has consistently found a way to exploit the, the Seahawks defense by getting their linebackers on wide receivers. And it's a total mismatch because Cup is so intelligent at finding those spaces. And I got to say, the second touchdown, as much as I can gripe about the fact that it should never happen, it was such a gorgeous throw by Stafford because he was under pressure by Al Woods from the interior, and he had to throw that to a perfect spot. I mean, Brooks was not burned or anything, but it was a perfect spot for Cup to run under that, uh, well, not run under the ball, but run in stride, make that catch, and, and jet to the end zone. So st the Stafford-Cup connection is a real game changer because even for Goff's better years, Cup was not this electrifying. Um, and, and certainly McVeigh, by looking at some of the uh, the alignments and, and other play calling tendencies, they don't run the same offense as they do with, with Goff, and for good reason. I mean, Stafford, I don't put him up there as like a top two or top three quarterback or anything, but he's been in this league long enough, and he's put up enough very good, you know, impressive numbers that there are things you can do with Stafford that you can't do with Goff, and it unlocks generational receivers like Cooper Cup. So all I can say to the Seahawks is, this is a local kid. He's from this state, man. <laughs> it would have been nice for you to get him with the 69th <laughs> overall pick. Uh, I do think, um, yeah, it was, it's, um, it's wild that uh, Cooper cup uh, did fall that he didn't really even fall. Just like uh, didn't get a lot of attention coming out of Eastern Washington, but uh, certainly, you know, jumped off the page as a rookie and um, uh, was clearly head and shoulders above most wide receiver prospects and, and young wide receivers uh, right from the onset, which is why I always say good players are good. You know, that's just the way that it is. Even if uh, rookies and, and second year players and so on, uh, you know, sometimes there's adjustments and changes and uh, growth and development and all that. And, and some of them do become long-term projects for the most part. It's just like good players are good. You know, when they're, rookies and Cooper cup uh, to see his development, not just to this point and talking about development. Uh, I, I would have to disagree and say that I do think Matthew Stafford is a top five quarterback. I do think that he's still getting a lot of flack for playing for the Detroit lions. Um, <laughs> and just the fact, you know, just the fact that the connection to me, isn't like, uh, Oh wow. Matthew Stafford worked with two of the top, maybe two wide receivers in single yardage uh, season of all time, you know, it's going to be, if Cooper cup breaks Calvin Johnson's record, Matthew Stafford was the quarterback for both of them. You know, he was the one that was able to, I think, get them those balls. And for Calvin Johnson, not always in, in a great situation. And even for the Rams, you know, it's not the same defense that there was last year. And, and I do think Matthew Stafford makes a lot of, uh, not a lot, but he makes some of those bad throws that uh, clearly show like, and, and some bad decisions that clearly show like, whoa, okay. So like, these are some of the bad games with the lions, but now Matthew Stafford's surrounded by a better uh, cast. You know, it's like the, the former number one recruit, the former number one pick, you know, the, the true freshman, everything that he did as was like everywhere Matthew Stafford goes, he seems to be like, and then all of a sudden it was like, I mean, can't we all just the point at this point agree that the Lions are just <laughs> just like, you know, a life suck for any uh, quarterback. And I think just the mere fact that he survived for 11 years or whatever it was uh, is impressive. And this year, you know, he is I think one of the big reasons too. I just say top five is who else? You know, it's like you've got Tom Brady, you've got Patrick Mahomes, um, you got Aaron Rodgers, but. I, it, it's just like at that point, I think it's, it's, it's like, 
it's just like debate. And, and that's why I said also like with ranking and numbers, it's so hard for me. It's just like, yeah, I guess you could talk about this guy here and that, and it wouldn't be a big deal to me, but um, I'm fine with putting Matthew Stafford who leads the NFL in a lot of big categories. Uh, I'm fine with putting Matthew Stafford in that top three conversation right now, just because guys like Russell Wilson don't seem to be anywhere even close to that conversation right now, you know? So um, but I also, I know that, uh, uh, having Cooper cup and Henton and being in a better situation is certainly, um, helpful, I guess if as two other, as, as two NFC West, if we're looking at the Arizona Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals struggling, you know, keeping on the conversation of the, the division, the Cardinals struggling a little bit here recently, Kyler Murray struggling a little bit recently. What's your view on the uh, Arizona Cardinals? Um, this is kind of a familiar, uh, scene for the Cardinals because they were what five and two or five and three last year or six and three, maybe. And then they collapsed straight out of the playoff on today. They finished eight and eight. And, uh, this year they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to lose out, but even if they do lose out, the NFC is just so lacking in good teams that they should be able to make it as a, as a wild card. But, um, their defense does not, to me, their defense has some fatal flaws in the playoffs, especially if they have a, a say a rematch in green Bay bad weather game I would trust Green Bay's rushing attack to just barrel through Arizona's defensive line because they they really just do not have a very good run defense that the Lions are able to run all over them with practice squad running backs is a is a major concern for them and then offensively I like Kyler Murray um, but if we, we had to cool it on the MVP talk if only for the fact that I think some of these miraculous looking plays are actually just bad plays where he's getting bailed out by his receivers um, you can only make magic happen so many times. And I think we've experienced this with Russell Wilson as well. And Murray's just making some bad decisions and, and looking inaccurate since he's come back from injury. So I think Arizona is still a, a pretty good team and losing DeAndre Hopkins hurts. But um, ultimately, if, if you ask me at the, the beginning of the season, I picked the Rams to win the division and Arizona to finish last. So I was way off on the Cardinals. But I think that's by beating Arizona a couple of weeks back, um, the Rams are, are in very favorable position to win this division because Arizona's end of season schedule is not easy. They got Indianapolis, Dallas, and then the Seattle rematch. Now, Seahawks rematch looking like it's going to be an, an Arizona win, but the Rams with the Vikings, a banged up Ravens team, and then end with the 49ers. Um, you would expect, you would back the Rams to have a better record over the last three than Arizona. And for the Cardinals, I just get the sense that it's not an inexperienced thing, but they are a finesse team to me more than they are a physical force. And teams have been able to beat them by just bullying them, whether with the, their defensive line bullying Arizona's offensive line or what's happening more often is the opposing offensive lines are just bullying Arizona's defensive line. So um, there's still time for Arizona to turn the ship around. But mm -hmm. I, I think there is more to this for his, uh, there, there is more to it than just losing two games for Arizona. I think they are in a bit of a slump now. So if speaking of that, then we'll end on that, uh, on this note uh, that you mentioned um, Seattle playing Arizona in week 18 and uh, the Rams and the Cardinals currently both have 10 and four records. And of course um, the Rams, as well as uh, other teams in the NFC, uh, would be interested to see the Seahawks win that game. However, you know, there are concessions to be made <clears throat> with regards to 
because the Rams won this game and the Seahawks fall to five and nine and uh, really have to give up uh, hope there on the playoffs. Um, this year, the NFL uh, has basically incentivized teams to fire coaches at least two weeks before the season, you know, because that's when I, I believe you can start interviewing now other head coaching candidates. So for teams like, say, the Raiders or the Jaguars, they're going to be interviewing coaches uh, very shortly and that gives them a leg up for any teams that don't uh, fire their coaches. Um, similarly, uh, Russell Wilson, you know, what's the point maybe even of playing Russell Wilson for the rest of the season, he may not take a benching, but you know, what's really the point uh, if, if there could be incentive to keep him as uh, healthy as possible for the off season. So uh, what are the odds do you think of either of those things happening? Uh, so I'll tackle this in two parts. The odds they fire Carroll, I don't think they're very high, even though I want to move on. Um, but as much as I, I've already said earlier in the podcast that I don't want Wilson to be traded, I think it's a non-zero chance at this point. I think it's a heightened chance that he does get dealt this offseason compared to this past offseason, where I think it was all just blown out of proportion a bit. But this is dependent on Wilson waiving his no-trade clause. I don't think it's out of the question that he does it as to which team he goes to. I don't know. New Orleans should be salivating for him instead of riding the Taysom Hill bandwagon even longer than they need to. The Giants sense to me that they're not going to be good ever in the, again in my lifetime, it feels like. Uh, but there could be suitors for Wilson. And that does bring up the interesting points is if the Seahawks do ponder trading Wilson, would they sit in these last three weeks knowing they have nothing to play for other than pride and just to not have the Jets have a top 10 pick when him suffering a catastrophic injury could suddenly affect his trade value, affect everything. So I think they'll play him uh, because it's hard to convince Wilson to sit, but uh, certainly changes need to be made in Seattle. It's not just one bad season. And even if Wilson was healthy all the way, the, the way this team is played at best, they make the playoffs and get bounced right away in the first round and at worst you get this which is missing the playoffs so they've missed it twice in the last five seasons they have one playoff win during that span and that's against the eagles who had to play a semi-retired josh mccown at quarterback for most of the day and if the cardinals do make a playoff run then seattle will have the fewest postseason wins out of any of the nfc west teams over the past five years and if arizona makes the super bowl which i'm not really counting on but if they do they get hot then every NFC West team will have made the Super Bowl over the last five seasons, except Seattle. So that would indicate Rams still at the top of their game because McVay has, has never had a losing season there and they're going to be in the playoffs again. Cardinals, they're on the ascendancy. They, they have had the gradual progression from bad team to okay team to good team. And then the 49ers, I think they're going to upgrade from Garoppolo eventually, but they're a good team. They're a pretty talented team and they're probably going to make the postseason as well. So if ownership looks at the state of the Seahawks and sees, oh my goodness, this is a shark tank of a division and it looks like they're getting left behind, they might just do something drastic because wanting to run it back with this team yet again when the results have not been very good over the last five seasons, at least not up to the standards of the previous years of Carroll, um, you're tempted to, to, to have a shakeup. I mean, the last time they missed the playoffs, Daryl Bevel got fired, Tom Cable got fired, Chris Richard got fired, and they vastly uh, remade the roster. So this time around, I could see something similar happen. In other words, even if Carroll stays, 
I can see a lot of people going. And I think it's necessary. Uh, this has not been an enjoyable season. It's not been a good season. And even if I'm bitter over the officiating of this game, it is abundantly clear the Seahawks are just a bad football team. Very uh, interesting, very interesting uh, situation in Seattle and very interesting uh, to hear about it from uh, you, Mookie. Uh, this is Mookie Alexander, uh, field goals, uh, getting an instant reaction here as the Rams win 20 to 10. Uh, you can uh, look for tweets about the Seahawks uh, on uh, Twitter at field goals, of course, and uh, check out coverage if you want to know check coverage of the enemy you can always go to field goals uh for that such coverage uh mookie thanks for uh being able to um you know put that anger aside for um, a half an hour and uh talk about the game uh any last words there for the referees uh yes sean hockley please go, go officiate high school games instead. Not, you're, you're not cut out. You and your crew are not cut out for NFL level, NFL level officiating, which isn't good in the first place, but you don't even meet those standards. Any, uh, is that a nepotism thing? Yeah, it, feel, it feels like it. Um, we certainly <laughs> get a few sons of, of officials getting uh, head refereeing jobs in the NFL. It just happens so often, but at least Ed, when he screwed up, he explained his screw-ups in great detail. Uh, Sean's crew seems to just duck and cover. Well, there you go. Uh, but you're right. The Rams have been on the wrong end of some uh, poor officiating as well as uh, a lot of teams, all teams uh, are. But tonight, uh, the Rams were also on the correct end of uh, two touchdowns uh, from Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup, the offensive, probably the offensive player of the year, as Mookie put it, if not the MVP. Um, and Matthew Stafford coming away with another 244 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and Sony Michelle, 18 carries for 92 yards. The defense with three sacks, including one for Von Miller, one for Aaron Donald, one for Leonard Floyd, and uh, two pass up breakups there for Jalen Ramsey as the Rams win 20 to 10. Um, come back soon for the next episode of the Turf Show Times podcast.